as a Christian, how do we relate to the world? This is often very difficult for us, and I want us to start in John chapter 15 this evening. John chapter 15. Let's read 18 through verse 21. John chapter 15, verse 18 through 21. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. I believe that the Bible is very clear that God's eternal purpose is, number one, to bring glory and honor to himself. And everything else is subservient to that. That means whatever he has planned for your life, whatever kingdoms rise and fall, as we looked at Psalm 2 this morning, whatever kingdoms rise and fall, it all falls within God's plan, but it's all being done for his honor and for his glory. Now, the world commands us, and I wish that, in some ways I wish, and we, Brother Diego and I have talked about this, number of times before, I wish there were more who would come to be able to listen to additional <coughs> lessons like this because this really is where I believe we're gaining a lot of our growth is, is within our personal lives, um, is to understand what the scripture says a little more deeply maybe than what we would get on our, or what we would do on a Sunday morning. But we are called to be separate from the world. This is one of the things that John writes about quite often, especially in the book of First John. And we are to be separated from the world. Now, again, it was mentioned in the Sunday school class this morning, we could live as a monk or live in a cave somewhere, live under a rock. We would still find plenty of excuses to be able to violate the holiness of God, to violate the standards that God has established. Because it doesn't matter whether there's anybody around you or not. As I, I, I can't remember. It wasn't Jay Vernon the Greek Gee, but I think it was... I think it was um, Maybe Alan Redpath, who made the comment back in the 50s, uh, who said the devil could take a holiday for three weeks and most church people would never miss him. And the point that he was making is this. The devil doesn't make us do the things that we do. We do them because it is within our nature to be able to do that. We ask the question, and I often have the opportunity when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody to ask them, well, how many sins does it take to make you a sinner? And of course, invariably, they say one. And the answer is no, none. We're already a sinner. <coughs> we are already separated. That means that when we have, for example, Jasper is two years old, Okay, um, when each one of our children are born, when we were born, when you were born, here's the process of what happened. God gave our parents or your parents or you as parents, 
God gave you a little heathen that has been born into this world for the purposes of being able to raise them for one purpose, and that's to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, to be able to teach them the truth of Scripture, to be able to share with them the gospel so that they come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our goal. You see, we can't take money with us. We can't take treasure with us. We can't take any of those things with us, but we can share the good news with those who come after us. Now, we look around and we've been talking about England this evening, and, and sadly, there are a lot of churches in England that you'll go into today, and, and they're the same size that they have been for the last 20 or 30 years. And it's normally, every one of those people are normally 70 or 80 plus, and they gather together one service. They are there for only one thing, and that's just to be able to keep the doors open. Hoping against hope, that their non-activity, their non-proclamation of the gospel, their non-ringing the rafters with singing, but sitting there in their six seats will actually somehow produce results for the kingdom of God. Now, just in the time that we were in England, in the five years we were in England, there were probably half a dozen churches that were what were called Grace Baptist churches that actually finally closed the doors and the money was given to other churches just in the space of five years. Now, that happens quite a bit more often. In fact, uh, uh, mom and dad were in the ministry of helping to revitalize churches for a, a number of years after coming back from England. And one of the things that they found, and I don't remember the statistics, but there are literally thousands of churches across America that are closing. 4,000 how often? A year? Wow. 4,000 churches a year. Why is that? Why do you think they're closing? No support. No, What's that? No parishioners, no support. Uh, no members, okay. We got every day we're in further away from the gospel. Yep. Yep. That's really, that's really what it boils down to. Sure. Sure, uh, because because here's what's happened. We we were looking at, at uh, some folks that we knew uh, when I was a kid growing up as a missionary, um, and uh, the, this one gentleman, he had gotten married, been married to his wife for almost 38 years. Uh, come to find out, his oldest son um, has has grown up, has uh, embraced fully embraced the homosexual lifestyle, and has married his partner. This is a man who was a missionary. He, he, he'd been a pastor. And how do we get to that point? The reason we get to that point, and, and some of the comments, and I don't know if you guys ended up going back and reading some of those comments, but you know, the, the father is saying, may the Lord bless you, talking to his children. May the Lord bless each of you, and we're praying, and we're going through this tough time, and his wife passed away about a year and a half ago. That doesn't excuse the sin. And when we get to the point where we have excused the sin, we have excused the sin in the country, and it didn't start with our politicians. The reason we excuse the sin in our country is because it's been excused in the church. We actually are the spiritual barometer of what is going on here in America. And as long as we continue excusing sin, as long as we continue doing the things that we are doing, I'm not talking about here at Yellowstone, I'm talking about in general within evangelicalism, the country's going to continue to go downhill. 
I believe that we have the responsibility before God to be able to stand up and tell the truth no matter what it costs. Now, <coughs> excuse me, you may say, well, that's easy for you to say because there's no pressure right now. There's nobody standing at the door waiting to put you in handcuffs, to be able to take you away, to put you in prison. Like, oh, wait a minute, didn't that just happen recently by Pastor James Coates over in Canada? Just last year, he took a stand. And there are others. Here recently, there was a British man who was standing on a street corner who had been a pastor, 77 years old, was preaching the gospel. Four homosexual lads came up and beat, beat him to a pulp. The pastor, or the former pastor, the retired man, was actually the one that was arrested. Not one charge was filed against those four young men. And they said that it was done and he deserved it because he was inciting hatred under the current law. Now, if we don't think that that's coming here to America, we are blind. So how do we live in a world that hates us so badly? Do we turn and say, well, we'll just let God take care of that. We won't judge. We'll just let it slide. Is that the way to handle it? No. I think we have a responsibility to still love those who embrace those lifestyles, to love those who are not true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ so that his love, his Holy Spirit, will actually have an impact on their life. Now, uh, brother, there's nothing that a, a single one of us can do to save your wife. There's nothing I can do to save my children. There's nothing you can do to save your children or your grandchildren. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And we have to be willing to step back and say, wait a minute, is there anything that is in my life that is not pointing my children or my grandchildren or my colleagues or my neighbors that is not pointing them to Jesus Christ? That should be the question, not how can we possibly fit in. You see, the church has continued to change. We have used this illustration before. Here we are, we're walking in the ways of the world. The world is way over here. And this is the way we start off. Here's the world. We're hand in hand with the world. Great times. And then we get saved and we see, we see the cross in front of us and we see what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And we're walking towards him. We are following the path as Pilgrim's Progress shows in the, in, in, in the uh, uh, analogy that John Bunyan wrote. And we're walking this way towards the cross. And then the way gets rough. And there's rocks in the path. And so what we do is we step over into the field thinking it's going to be a little bit easier. And what ends up happening is we are in Doubting Castle and our eyes catch sight of the world and the vanity fairs and all that the world has to offer and we think, oh, it's not too bad as long as I stay here. The problem is now our eyes are on the world again. The world is as depraved as it is ever going to be and the problem is the cross is retreating into the distance. And do you know what happens then? We finally turn around and we realize how far we've gone. Christ is still moving forward. He is still the captain. And we are moving in that direction. We are moving into eternity. But if our eyes are being captured by what is behind us, the trinkets and the baubles that the world have to offer, we're going to receive the rewards here. Now, 
The problem is that a lot of churches, a lot of pastors in churches will not preach the truth. They will not preach against sin. They will not preach against judgment. They won't use the word hell. Here recently we were talking about Rick Warren at Saddleback, for example. Rick Warren now for a number of years has said we will not use words like hell and repentance and damnation and judgment in our sermons because we don't want to offend anybody. If the Lord Jesus Christ comes and convicts you and he makes you one of your children, he didn't come to save you because you are good. He came to save you because of how far separated you were from the holiness of God. What is it that we're saved from? We're saved from the wrath of God. Now think about this. What did the wrath of God do to his own son? The Lord Jesus Christ went to death, the death of the cross, for the first and only time in history, for the first and only time in all of eternity past and all of eternity future, God the Father had to turn his back on his own son and it pleased the Father to bruise him. What kind of religion, what kind of Christianity do we hold to that the father who sent his son would be willing to do that to his only begotten child. Now go look in the mirror and realize that it was for you and it was for me. You see, that's what true biblical Christianity is. So now we can stop worrying about what the world has to offer. We can stop trying to hold hands. We can stop trying to get in bed with the world. We can turn and face back to the cross and say, Lord, forgive me. I can look at the cross and I can say, gladly the cross I will bear. That's what we're called to do. We are called to walk in that direction no matter how hard it gets. We're called to walk in that direction as we saw this morning. The eternal shepherd. The eternal shepherd, he cares for us. He comforts us. He shelters us. He will be our eternal shepherd forever. Why would we want this? One day even the world is going to burn up. Even all the elements. The fire is going to be so hot. Second Peter chapter 3 says that even the elements themselves will be melted from the fervent heat. All of this is going to be gone. I mean, and then we talk about the precious jewels. I mean, they're used for paving stones in heaven. And here we are. We think we've got to hang on to that. And sometimes we get so concerned, go back to John chapter 15, sometimes we get so concerned about what others will think of us, whether it's our children, our grandchildren, our, our relatives, our parents, our coworkers, our, our neighbors, whoever it may be, that we fail to tell them the good news. Is that really the good news? Would any of you want to go back to that kind of lifestyle knowing that you could die any single minute and face the eternal wrath of the Father? I sure wouldn't. That's what he has saved me from. That's what he has saved you from. And because he has saved us from that, why wouldn't we want to share that wonderful, glorious, great, awesome news to the rest of the world? I mean, we mentioned this morning, we're going to stand around the throne. We're going to see the great white throne judgment. You and I are all going to face 
family and friends and colleagues and neighbors and whoever it may be who are going to be on the other side. They're going to be in the side of the goats. And there's not going to be any second chances. Those who are on that side are going to face the wrath of Almighty God for all of eternity. The same wrath that we rightly deserve and the only difference between us standing in this camp and those standing in the goat camp is that Jesus Christ atoned for our sins in full. This is why it's so important. This is why we proclaim biblical Christianity. If your Christianity is not changing you, you don't have biblical Christianity. There's a saying, and I have often heard it down through the years, I believe even my dad has used this before, if you and I were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convince, to, to convict us? Think about that. If your neighbors were called and they were serving on the jury, if your sons or your daughters or your grandkids or your colleagues or, or, your, or whoever it was and they were all put on the jury and they said, okay, we're going to determine, try to determine whether Mark Escalera is actually a Christian or not. He says he belongs to the sovereign God of the universe. He says that he has the right to become a child of God. He says his sins have been forgiven. Let's put him on trial to see whether he actually acts that way. Whether he lives that way. Whether what he says reflects that. And then at the end of that, have somebody to be able to determine guilty or innocent. Now do we begin to see how real it is? Now do we begin to see what God is requiring from us that we change? That we are being changed from moment to moment, kept by his love so that one day we will stand before God and we will not stand in any condemnation. That's a glorious truth. But what we don't find in Scripture is somebody saying a little prayer and then living any way they want to, living like the devil for 30 years and then they find themselves dying and catching a ride on the glory train. <coughs> The problem is, and we see this in James, be not just hearers of the word, but be doers. It, are there things in your life and in mind that are changing, that are becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, no offense, Brother Mike. No offense, Brother Tim. But if we could go back in time, and I was a little fella, and my mom comes into church and she's rocking me in church. And as I'm growing up, I'm sorry, but I wouldn't be growing up looking like Mike. I wouldn't grow up be looking like Tim. I'll never be tall. You could say it, I'll never be fat. Well, I wasn't gonna say I wasn't gonna say that. But but regardless, regardless, I could I could say that with Brother Logan back there. I'll never grow up with that kind of a beard. But <clears throat> the problem is this: it doesn't happen in the human world, and it doesn't happen in the spiritual world. We grow up, and I look like my dad. I resemble my mom. I resemble both sides of the family. And in like manner, you and I resemble the one who gave birth to us. 
And if we are resembling, if we have more of a resemblance of the evil one than we do of the Heavenly Father, then who is it that we actually belong to? The Lord Jesus Christ made it very clear. He says, you're not part of me. He says in Matthew chapter 24, there will come a time when those who will stand before God will say, well, wait a minute, didn't we do? And they're going to have a long laundry list of all the things that they supposedly did for God. And he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. It's not that they, excuse me, it's not that God doesn't know who they are. It's because there was no personal relationship with them. You know, Brother Doug, that to me is one of the scariest passages in all scripture. To think that we could do all of those things. That's why I believe Paul reminds us that we are to continually examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith or not. We must be questioning ourselves. We must be asking. And that doesn't mean that we live perfect. Dad made a joke this morning about sinless perfection. We know there's no sinless perfection. Certainly not in this life. And there are things that we're going to do every single day. There are times even just breathing is going to be if our minds are not focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. If he is not first and foremost with every breath that we take, we are actually violating the commands of God. You see, so now we've talked about this in the past and we've written the numbers up on the board to see how many sins we've actually committed and we've done this with just one sin. Well, now compound that by every breath that you have taken just today that hasn't kept you, where you have not had your mind focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and now you'll see how far we can be from God. And every one of those sins demands punishment. It demands some kind of eternal punishment. Either God has eternally, through his son, given you the robes of righteousness that are clothed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are his inheritance. Or you will have to do it in hell. Now, I believe the, or I believe the Roman Catholic Church knew this. I believe that's why down through the years, every time there's a new decree or a new papal decree that comes out and the indulgences that came out, what were the indulgences for? An indulgence was you could go to the church and you could pay money to the priest and the priest would say mass for you or he would say a prayer for you. And, and I believe it was Tetzel, somebody may remember. Uh, Tetzel, he says, when a penny in the coffer rings a soul from purgatory springs, why did they begin teaching that? They needed another way to be able to bring money into the coffers of the Catholic Church. So instead of telling people the truth, what they were doing was they were trying to buy themselves their own kingdom here on earth. This is one of the reasons why the Catholic Church instituted celibacy. Celibacy is not found in the scriptures. The reason they introduced that was because during the Middle Ages, the priests were becoming wealthy through all of these shenanigans that they were pulling. And when they were dying, or when they died, they were passing that wealth on to their own families. So the Catholic Church got the bright idea, well, wait a minute, if the priest is married to the church and the priest is celibate or single, that means when he dies, we get all of his wealth. So, new papal decree comes out, priests are no longer allowed to marry. You see how far it is it becomes? And what they did was instead of going back to the word of God, that's one of the things that we can give thanks for men like Johannes Gutenberg, the founder of the print, modern printing press. The fact that we even have the Bible today 
where there are some countries and there are some places that their language has not even been reduced to an alphabet and it's simply an oral alphabet, the fact that we've got it, we've got it in multiple versions. How, how many different versions do you think we have here just this evening? I've got the ESV. King James. Anybody else have a different version? New King James. NIV. What else? Anybody else have a different one? Yeah, three different ones on the phone there. So we've... Many. There's like 40. Yeah, we, we've got access to 30 or 40 different translations in our own language. And yet, there are still multiple thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of people who don't even have one verse of the scripture. So we can be thankful that God has placed us where we're at and that we have the ability to study his word. Now, in the book of Acts, you had a group of Christians there and they were called Bereans. And the Bereans were more faithful than those of Thessalonica. Why? Why does the Bible say that they were more faithful? Ah, they searched the Bible for themselves. I was listening to a um, the one guy who does the videos, the pastor. I think he's Assembly of God or something on the LDS. The Hello Saints one. Remember the guy, he very, very... Uh, at any rate, he's the, young, he's the younger man and he, and he calls himself a pastor and he's actually trying to engage with the LDS as well as with Christians. Yeah. And I went on to one of his latest videos and I didn't, didn't even watch the video. I just went through some of the comments. Yeah. I was not shocked, but I was saddened. In those comments, there were some like three or 4,000 comments on one of his latest videos. And there were several on there that said, I started out in an evangelical church, but God led me to the LDS church. You know how that happens? Do you know that the cults gather fully 25% of their converts every year come from churches just like ours? Why? Because people don't know the scriptures. Because people are more concerned about wanting to be loved. They're more concerned about whatever it is, fill in the blank, and so they look and they see another church, and they can be wrong on other areas of doctrine, but... We like that part, so that's what they gravitate towards. And the reason that you go to church more times than not is the reason that you will leave or that you will stay. I, I don't know about you, but I, I am just, I am blown away. I am amazed at what God is doing here at Yellowstone. We have been praying for revival. We have been praying for change. We had another 70 plus day today. That is amazing. From where we were two years ago, I don't think anybody here could ever accuse me of standing up and preaching a health, wealth, and prosperity message or standing up and saying God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And it's not because I hate people. I love people. I love you guys. I love the people that God has brought. But love is not conformity to sin. 
Love is telling you the truth about what God has to say about you and I in His Word and then turning around and giving you the great hope. If, if, I, if I stand up here and I say, I want you to know I went to medical school and I've got a medical degree, a couple of medical degrees, and I want you to know that I have a cure for cancer. If you don't have cancer, are you really going to care? If you don't know anybody that's got cancer, if there's nobody in your family that has cancer, are you going to care what I tell you is in this pill? Not really. But if I tell you that everybody has cancer, that everybody is going to die, that everybody is going to face the wrath of God, unless you take what it is that is being offered to you, now I can tell you the good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now I can give you hope. But, but, but if I'm just telling you that, hey, God has a wonderful plan for your life and, and you're a great guy just as you are and God will accept you and he'll leave you right there and he'll allow you to continue sinning and, and doing all of these things, all you have to do is just love him. I, I have just preached a false gospel to you. This is why without going through the entire lesson, and I hope that you have spent the time to read this, but when, when he asked, as a Christian, how do I relate to the world? That's how you relate to the world. You tell them that you have good news. But before you can tell them about the good news, you have to tell them the danger they are in. And then ways to face opposition. Because you will face it. There will be people who will seek to destroy you. Uh, what, what, if, what if somebody at your work came to you and said, hey, you have to take this, this, this litmus test. You have to be willing to support the LGBTQ agenda. You have to be willing to accept whatever it may be. And if you don't, you're going to be given your walking papers and you're going to be fired. Oh, that'll never happen in America. Try reading the news. Because it is not only happening, it is happening regularly. Here recently, how many of you shop at King Supers? Okay. Do any of you remember, uh, I think it was, what, a year ago? A couple of years ago. Um, the two individuals who were fired after having spent years working for King Supers were fired because they wore a little cross, just a cross, nothing else, on their apron. But you can go to any one of the grocery stores here in town and you will find rainbows, proud, out and loud. And you're allowed to wear those kind of things. But if you walk in and try saying <coughs> marriage equals one man and one woman, see if they'll allow you to wear that badge. That's here in America. But what, should we be surprised? I mean, after all, if the servant is not above his master, the master went to the cross and required him to go to the cross because of sin. Not because he was having a bad day, not because the Romans hated him, not because the Jewish religious leaders, the Lord Jesus Christ himself says, no man takes my life from me, I lay it down of my own. I can assure you that you will be opposed if you live for Christ. If you go along with the world, 
you won't be opposed. Somebody read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 for us. 2 Timothy 3, 12. Does it say might be persecuted? It says will be. Will be persecuted. It's a guarantee. Here in America, we have become... We have become lax. We think that, that, that American Christianity has become soft, if you will. Uh, there are many brothers and sisters that we have prayed for. We have even shown some of the videos. and We have shared accounts with you of what is going on in other countries... Uh, how many people would we have had this morning if we thought that on the way that somebody would kidnap us and take us to jail for simply proclaiming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Would we still have come? Would we still have brought our families? Would we still have been willing to walk the line? If that's what it meant? Our brothers and sisters around the world are doing it every single week. Every single month they're doing that. Where's this opposition come from? Sometimes it's going to come from those who are closest to you. And ultimately, here's what you have to remember. The opposition is not about you. You're just the, you're just the scapegoat. The opposition is against God. Because when we stand before God, we're not going to stand and we're not going to give account to our spouses or to our children, or to our grandchildren. We're going to give an account to God. That means when we stand before God that every one of us have to have an answer. Just like they have to have an answer. There won't be able to be any excuse. Even if you don't share the truth with your loved ones, I think that we will, that we will know the shame of that. Thankfully, that's one of the things as we go later in Revelation, we will find that God will take away all tears, all sorrow, all sin will be completely removed. But I think that it's important for us to understand that when our loved ones, our neighbors, our co-workers stand before God, they will not have any excuse. They won't be able to even look at you and say, you didn't tell me, you didn't whatever. Because every person has to stand or fall on that relationship with Jesus Christ. The opposition can come from the lost in general. The opposition can come from society. The opposition can even come from the evil one and his minions. You think about Job. Look what Job went through. And yet in all of that, God was still in control. God told Satan, you can go down, you can take everything he's got, but you can't touch him. So then he goes back down again. And God says to Satan, you can touch his body, but you can't take his life. So he takes his life, or he, he, he puts boils all over him from head to foot. He takes everything that he owns. He kills all ten of his children in one day. And yet, the Bible says in all of these things, Job did not sin, even with his mouth. Now that's some pretty serious opposition. And then to deal with the kind of friends that Job had. I mean, for 38 chapters, we're dealing with three nincompoops. That, that's a Hebrew word for bad guys and we're dealing with these guys and they're coming in and they're accusing Job over and over and over 
Job, you did this. Job, you did this. you did that. You didn't do the righteousness of God. You didn't. And at the end of it, finally, God says, you have been wrong about me. You need to come and bring your offering to Job. He will sacrifice on your behalf and maybe I will forgive you. And yet, here we are, several thousand years later, and we're more concerned about what Job's friends think than we do about how Job is handling the situation. So how do we handle this over, this opposition? How do we overcome it? I believe, number one, he talks about giving a soft answer. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. Here's the reality. The answers will never change. The opposition will never change because you can't change it. Only the Holy Spirit can. And when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a person and he changes their heart and he brings new life, there won't be anything you can do to stop it. You know one of the encouraging things about having a baptism, about having new people come, about having people join the church? You know what's encouraging about that? It encourages more of the same. When we hear somebody coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they're standing in the waters of baptism and we lower them into the water and we bring them back up, raised to walk, as we say, in newness of life, not that the water is the salvation because it's not, but they're raised to walk in newness of life. What it's doing is it's encouraging us and reminding us there's one more sheep in the fold. One more sheep. One more lamb. But does that mean that we live any way we want to? No. I believe that as he says here, we are to please God with our life. We are to have faith in God. We are to love our enemies. Those who don't know, don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not really our enemies. And even if they were, we are called to love our enemies. Love those who persecute you. Bless them who persecute you. Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew chapter 5. Love your enemies. Help them. I don't know what that looks like for you. It, it, it may be that you're riding down the road and you see two guys in the heat of summer and they've got this little name tag that says elder. Both of them don't look like they've ever had a day of shaving in their life. And you take them into a local McDonald's and you buy them a drink. Don't buy them a coffee or Coke. They drink Coke. Oh, they do drink Coke now. Oh, yes. oh okay. Well, it probably helps that the Mormon church actually owns Coca-Cola. That, that's why they do it. It used to be Pepsi. Yeah, yeah. But seriously, what's wrong with taking them in and saying, hey, I'll take one of your booklets. You don't have to read it. But take one of these little tracks. These little tracks that we've got. What is the gospel? And ask them to read the scriptures for themselves. That's doing good to those who spitefully use you. You know what they're doing? They're doing because they're hoping for a higher place in heaven on the celestial rung. What we should be doing it for is for Jesus. That's it. So love your enemies just as Christ loved his. Think about it. He's even on the cross. And as he is on the cross, there are two thieves. They weren't even part of the whole, whole debacle, the whole show that day. And yet here they are, and they're both casting the exact same thing in his face. 
I mean, I can't imagine the swear words that must have gone up and the screams and the vulgarity from the soldiers to the crowd to these two thieves, one who are hanging on either side of them. And finally, one of them, under the capture of the Holy Spirit, recognizes and realizes that this truly is the Son of God. Not because he was a better thief than the other. Simply because God, in his sovereign choice, selected that man for his honor and his glory. And this man looks over at Christ and he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Because he was better? Absolutely not. Simply for the glory of God. That's it. So when we're talking with whoever it may be in our lives, whatever we're dealing with, tell them the truth. Let the chips fall where they may. I know it's not easy talking with your family. I know it's not easy talking with neighbors or whatever. But why wouldn't we want to tell them? I'll close with this illustration. If you were driving down the road late one night, you get off work or you're coming late back from church and you drive by your neighbor's house and their house is on fire, are you going to think to yourself... Well, you know, we, we don't have much of a good relationship. I didn't invite him over for the last barbecue. I, I, I'll let somebody else take care of it. Are we going to do that? Are, are, are we going to go up and get ready to knock on the door? And it's like, well, I, I don't want to wake him because he might be offended. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go up to that house. We're going to bang on every window. We're going to bang on every door. We're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to break the window to be able to get into that house to be able to rescue them. And there won't be one thing that that man has for you for the rest of probably his life but gratitude and thankfulness for the fact that you cared enough to rescue him and his family. The people that are coming, they're coming because they see the truth. One of the families that was here this morning, they said the reason that they came here, I was going to share this with you, Brother Diego, they said the reason that they came here is because they saw on our church website that we have taken a stand against the SBC and pulled out. They said that was important to them. That doesn't make us special. We're responsible for this congregation right here as a group. But you know what we can do? We can keep telling people the truth. We can keep loving them. We can exclude the world and say, the world, you're welcome to come in. You're welcome to come in here holding hands that there's two lesbians or two homosexuals or whatever. But they're not going to walk out of here without knowing the truth of God's word that God will save them. God can save them. God does save people like that. And when he does, he doesn't leave them to continue living that lifestyle any more than he left you and I that way. That's the wonder of the gospel. No other religion offers that. Other religions will offer you all of these promises, all of these benefits, and then they'll still saddle you with the guilt of everything that you have done in your past. But you look to the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, and he saves you and he takes away not just the sin, but he takes away the guilt and the shame that goes with it as well. And he says, you, Brother Doug, you, Brother Mike, you, Dad, you, Brother Tim, every one of us here who know the Lord Jesus Christ, he looks at us and he says, forgiven, paid in full. No other religion offers that. None. 
walk out into the world this week not looking to change them but asking that God will change you what needs to change in your life and mind so that we do point others to Jesus Christ don't worry about what they think about you don't worry about being embarrassed it, it's difficult I'll admit it's difficult sometimes to walk in or to remember to pull out that track and lay it down on the table and include a tip in it or whatever it may be or go to the grocery store but you never know what that one track or what that one testimony or what that one pointing to Jesus Christ will do in somebody else's life. Any questions or comments this evening? There's a difference, huge difference between inviting our Absolutely. Absolutely. And see, and that, that's, that's where we're at. For example, if, if you know, if you have been watching the news this last week, finally, Brother Tim, I don't know if you noticed this, but the SBC finally outed uh, Rick Warren's church, Saddleback. Everybody was praising it. Everybody was wonderful. That's great news. Yes, we're finally taking a stand. Wait a minute. They excluded six churches from the SBC. There are over a hundred churches right now in the SBC that have women pastors. There are multiple churches that openly endorse the LGBTQ agenda, including mega churches who have them on their staff as a pastor. Not a word was said about them. You see, the reason why we get rid of a church like Rick Warren, who is actually going to be able to stand up in New Orleans and he's going to be able to appeal to the congregates at large. And, and, and Brother Tim was there. We saw it. And if it goes anything like the last one, it will be an overwhelming vote in favor of bringing them right back in again. But the reason that we're doing that is, or that they were doing that, is because it allows them or because they realize that there are hundreds of churches, little churches just like ours, that have stopped giving to the convention. A lot of churches like ours who are finally taking a stand and they're realizing that it's costing them more than they thought it was going to cost them. And I can share this with you. Following Jesus Christ is going to cost us. It will cost this church. It will cost you and I. It will cost this leadership. It will cost you as a family man, as the leader of your home. Thank you for sharing that because, yes, that is very true. We can welcome them. We can say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and because of the love that God showed to me, I can show that same kind of love to you, but that doesn't mean that I will ever accept your sin. Anybody else? We, I think I would say uh, that's a hot topic right now. That 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 whole strain of sin, but we often can can uh, overlook. Sure. Still, uh, you know, we we uh, we 
topic, but but not uh, and and come with great consequences. Not sure. not to negate that, but there's there's other sins and you know sins sins of gluttony and drunkenness that are uh, you know were hot topics in the past that yep. have been overlooked now. Yep. So um, not. To, Nope. Nope, it's not. And ultimately, I can't judge the sin of another person. Only There's only one judge, the righteous judge. I just have to know whether I have the right relationship with God myself. And when I stand before God, I'm not going to be responsible and I'm not going to give an account for 10 billion other people who have lived or who live now and be responsible for me. And I'm either going to stand there because of Jesus or I'm going to try to do it on my own. And those who try to do it on their own will face eternity in hell. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks again for your word. Thank you that just as the Lord Jesus Christ said that he faced opposition in the world. The world hated him. His own family members hated him. We too will face opposition. But we must be prepared to love you no matter what the cost. Lord, I believe that we are not far off from days of persecution and I have to wonder where we will stand should that day come. And I ask that you would give us grace and strength to be willing to face whatever tomorrow brings knowing the joy that we know who holds tomorrow. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the example that he gave. Again, remembering that no servant is above his master. Help us to be faithful to you. Those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Help us to find ourselves living godly in you. Go with us from here this evening. Your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.